All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am, again, your host, Adam Yates. I'm glad that you've taken an opportunity to listen to me again. I'm hoping that you are listening to my podcast, that you're gaining something from it, that you're finding yourself uplifted and strengthened. As I've said in all the previous podcasts, I'm going to say again, I'm very passionate about this topic, passionate about this topic of encouraging men to be Christian manly men. Our society today is looking to destroy that. Our society today wants to make you feel ashamed, wants to make you feel cowardly, wants to make you feel like the God-given manly uh, direction in Scripture is not correct. Society today wants us to change from what is those uh, traditional and Christian manly aspects to something that is far different. And uh, I want to continue to spend time in these podcasts encouraging you to take up Christian manhood, to take up that mantle of responsibility, to pick it up, to carry that burden, to throw it over your shoulder, to be glad to do it. I hope that as you've listened to my previous podcast that you found something in each one of them, that you found something to work on, that you found something that made you think. I hope today's not going to be any different. But before I get started on my topic today, I want to remind you that I believe that God chose you to be a man. He purposed you. He decided where you were going to be and at what time. He called you into manhood. It's your responsibility to follow through with that call and that invitation that he gave. A God who knows what he's doing, who is able to put people in places for his purpose, knows how to help you accomplish what his purpose is for you. How to be a godly man, how to be a righteous man, one who strengthens and encourages. My previous podcasts, I've uh, I've touched on several different aspects of manhood, the burden of manhood, talked about uh, manly love and friendship, talked about being aware of, of dangers, hidden dangers, and how to take a few moments to examine what what you're doing and what you're thinking and and making good decisions. We talked about the dangers of pornography, masturbation. We've talked about crossing yourself. We've talked about learning self-control. We've talked uh, also about being a mentor, that that, uh, aspect of manliness that makes you want to give back. I'm going to talk about another foundational aspect of manhood today, and this is probably the one that if most of society were to listen to, they would probably find the most problem with, and it would bring up the most controversy. And yet it's uh, probably the topic that I feel like is the one that that is very first and foremost, and that is the topic and that is the principle of being a king or being a leader and really being a servant humble servant leader, a humble servant king. We don't have to look any farther than the scriptures to see that example of Jesus Christ, the humble servant king. And we're told throughout scripture that we're supposed to be like him. And so we can't be ashamed and we can't be afraid to be humble Christian leaders. That's what the Lord has called us to be. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some things about being a king. And you know, this is one of those things that uh, I find this to be absolutely true in life, is that if we put God first everything else lines out the way it's supposed to be. If our priority is serving him and following him the way he's called us to, you're going to be a good husband. You're going to be a good father. You're going to be a good friend. You're going to be a good mentor. Yeah, you'll always need work in those aspects, but if your focus in life is following after Jesus Christ, is following the manual that he's put in front of you of how to accomplish those things, everything in life seems to line out. He knows what he's doing. God is 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 brilliant in the way that he's put things together. So I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about this aspect of being a servant leader, a servant king. And so what I want to start by talking about is, is you know, we see this laid out from the very beginning. If you look in the beginning of your Bible, you're going to find this story in Genesis where everything is created. And we come to this place where God creates Adam, and Adam has life and he is uh, given responsibility, 
right? God gave him responsibility over the garden, over all the animals that are there. And, and Adam took care of those things. God gave him that responsibility, and Adam took care of it. And at some point, Adam decided, or or he was, uh, the Lord recognized Adam's loneliness, that Adam needed a companion. And God then made Eve and presented this perfect partner, this perfect helpmeet for Adam. And, uh, and so then we, we know what happens after that. In fact, I even talked about it in one of our previous podcasts. I talked about the fact that, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, here Eve made this great mistake. And if we look back, and this is one, you know, this is a, a, a story and a topic that's touched on frequently, but I don't think that we can overlook it, men is that Satan came and he tempted Eve, and Eve gave in. And then Eve offered that apple or whatever it was, whatever that forbidden fruit was to Adam. Adam gave in and he took it. And some things happened, and they realized that they were naked, and they hid themselves, you know, and God came to have this this frequent interaction, this, this relationship that he must have had routinely with Adam and Eve, and found that they were hiding. And of course, God, I mean, we have to believe, I believe, that God knew exactly what happened. I knew he, he you know, I believe that he knew it happened right away. But he, uh, he called Adam and Eve to him. And when he was told by Adam, when the confession was made of what Adam had done or what Eve had done, you know, God went to Adam first. Now, it was Eve who had made the mistake. It was her who had done it first and foremost. But God went to Adam. And why did he go to Adam? He went to Adam because we see this pattern from the very beginning, that God made man accountable accountable for the things that he puts in his uh, realm of responsibility. And we've talked in previous podcasts, I've talked about my opinion is, is that anybody who ends up interacting with you, who comes into your span, your realm of control, no matter how fleeting of a moment it is, they become your responsibility and God holds you accountable. I truly believe that. He holds you accountable for the uh, stranger that you talk to at the gas pumps. He holds you accountable for your child's friend who comes for a sleepover for one night. He holds you accountable to those who end up coming into your span of control. Or if we're talking about this as a servant king who comes into your realm, that place that you have control over. We look at, at this, and, and, and there's several examples I have written here. Well, I say several. I got three. You know, God went first to Adam. Adam was accountable. God sent his prophet to David. David was accountable. God held Moses accountable for his decisions. When Moses decided rather than doing what the Lord asked him to in the desert, he smote the rock with his staff and made water come out when God told him to do something otherwise. You know, God goes to the men and he calls out the men and he makes men accountable. Now, clearly we look in scripture, we understand this, that we are all responsible for our own decisions. And I'm not saying that that is not the truth. But what I am saying is you look scripturally where God puts groups of people together. He puts man in a position of responsibility, and then actions are judged, and and that man's actions are judged in light of his responsibility toward them all. Now, I realize that if if there were some people within our world listening right now, and, and maybe even some of your wives or, or uh, women in your life, they might be frustrated by what I just said, right? That when people are together, God puts men in a position of responsibility. I'm not the one who made the rule. I'm not the one who who put this into order. It's God. We look at Scripture and we can see that God does that. He puts man in responsibility, in positions of responsibility, and it's not because women are dumb or or incapable. God, God chose it to be that way. I can either be frustrated with it 
or I can accept the fact that God purposed those things for a reason. And so, you know, I want I want you to think about that in your life. And we're going to talk through here about this, you know, this concept of being a servant leader, being a servant king. And uh, if you're not married, that doesn't mean that you don't have people who you have responsibility for and that you are not going to be responsible for your actions in light of how other people respond to your decisions. We need to recognize this. This is something that we are responsible for, and we can't just uh, let this responsibility go because we don't like it, because we're frustrated by it. You know, the reality is, is that the rules are the rules, whether we like them or not. It just doesn't matter. We have to be to be looking at how we can live and thrive within the rules that the Lord has, has put forward. And He's offered abundant and amazing blessings when we decide that we're going to follow Him. But we're going to talk about today is being that servant king, being that leader, that responsible leader, what are some aspects of it, what are some dangers of it, how are we going to do that? But you know, I, I, wanna, I want you to look and I want you to realize that our decisions that we make, it affects everybody that surrounds us, okay? So let's, if we go and we look in the in the scripture, in the Old Testament, we all know the story of what happened with David and Bathsheba. Here, David, there's an error right off the bat because his armies are off to battle against the Philistines, and instead of being there to lead them, being this warrior king that David was supposed to be, he was sitting in his castle, twiddling his thumbs, had nothing to do, so he steps out on the porch to have a, a, a little fresh air, and he looks from his tower and sees a lady taking a bath over on an adjacent rooftop, and he calls her to him, and and uh, then proceeds to do a terrible, terrible sin. And, you know, the scriptures just basically said that he, he, he had sex with her, but you know, you Sometimes I wonder what that really meant. You know, Bathsheba certainly knew that she was married, but did she feel like she had a right to say no to the king? You know, did the king force her? Was it uh, a a non consensual sexual interaction? There, it's just something interesting to think about. I I don't know, but uh, but you know, David he made this decision and he committed adultery there, and what happened? You know, is is Bathsheba? She ends up getting pregnant, and so David, we we know what happens from there, right? He calls her husband back from the front and tries to get him to go and and sleep with his wife so that he can try to pass it off that that baby was actually Uriah, her husband's, and he refused to do it. Uriah slept on the king's porch instead, so David decided, well, I'm going to send him back to battle, and I'm going to tell my general there that you just throw Uriah to the wolves, and and it was done, and Uriah was killed. But, you know, really, what I want to focus on here is the fact that as a king, we have responsibility. Our decisions make a, a, a difference and have an effect on a whole lot of people. And clearly, David's decisions had, had wide-ranging effects. Not only did they have an effect on him, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second, it clearly had an effect on Bathsheba. You know, she had uh, a husband who was then killed, and, and I can only assume that she probably cared for her husband. Did she have a choice whether or not she was going to go and visit the king and, and the king was going to, to sleep with her? I don't know, but there was an effect there. But we see an even greater effect. You know, the prophet comes and he calls out David. And, and the Lord forgave David because David humbled himself. He recognized his mistakes and he repented of it to, to never do those things again, which is a phenomenal lesson in and of itself that we need to be uh, thinking about. But, you know, there was a consequence that came from David's sin and it wasn't just his. If you look from that point on, you know, one of the response or one of the consequences of this sin was that there was going to be continual warfare in Israel throughout all of David's life. And if you look and you read on from there, you're going to see that that's exactly what happened. There was continual warfare in Israel from that point on to the point where David's own son, Absalom, was looking to destroy him. And, and, it, was, and it was a great burden that was on David. And you know, so what do we see there? We see that when a king fails to act as a king, there are wide-ranging and wide-reaching 
consequences that happen, and not just to them. You know, of course, David had this terrible, I can't imagine what it would be like knowing that your son wanted to overthrow and kill you, but also that your decision made it so that there were going to be thousands and thousands of men who were going to lose their lives, thousands of women who were going to become widows, thousands of children who were no longer going to have fathers. There was going to be all sorts of, of these things that come because of a lack of leadership that David showed. Interesting to think about. As men, our decisions have weight and they have reach, and we're not just making decisions for ourselves. And we need to consider that. You can disagree with me, but if you look, you will see throughout all of Scripture and even in the world we look at today. This is the truth. You know, there's a place in Scripture where it talks about that the sins of the fathers, it follows up on the third and fourth generation. And, you know, we think about that. And, and the Scripture, that particular Scripture, is not saying that, uh, that my children's children's children are going to be guilty of my sin. What it says is decisions that I make are long-lasting. And, you know, in, in the realm of police work where I come from, and any cop who's listening to this knows it's the absolute truth, we see it happen multiple generations who find themselves living in poverty, who find themselves living in crime, all of those things, right? A bad decision or bad decisions, lack of leadership, it falls down on children and children and children. It sets an example and it sets a pattern. This is why our responsibility as men is so important that we don't take it lightly, this this job that God gave to you, all right? It's it's something that carries weight. You know, we look at, a, at another example. You know, if you look before David was king, there was a king named Saul. And Saul, you know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you know, he was sent to go into a neighboring country or, or he was sent to go and, and destroy a people. And he was told, when you go there, the prophet told him, God says, when you go there, you kill everything. I mean, every man, woman, child, every animal, you kill it all. And so Saul went and he, and he went in with his armies and he, and he overthrew that particular thing, but he didn't kill everybody. He brought the king and they brought all the best of the animals and they bring it back and, and Samuel the prophet is going to meet Saul and, and he calls out Saul and he says, didn't, didn't the Lord tell you what you were supposed to do? And Saul begins to try to make excuses. Well, you know, I brought the king because, you know, I brought, I brought the king of this, of this neighboring people, you know, because I thought that we would take him captive. And we brought all the best of the animals, but for a good reason. We were going to sacrifice them. And Samuel says to him, you know, God doesn't delight in sacrifice. He delights in obedience. He wants you to obey him. And Saul says, you know, I, I gave in to the people. The people's voice, they said, hey, we should do this. We should keep the animals. We should do all this. And I gave in to it. And Samuel told him, you know, because you were not willing to be that leader, that right, righteous, obedient leader to God. God is taking the kingdom from you. And, and there were other things that Saul did as well. You know, I mean, he was, he was disobedient. But, you know, his decision had long-lasting effects. And because he gave in to the pressures of the people, rather than listening to God, it had an effect on his life. He and his sons died. And so we need to consider that, that, you know, God asks us to be obedient. He has an expectation that we are going to lead. You know, so remember that. God went first to Adam, not to Eve, right? Because God gives accountability. He gives accountability. And what is accountability? You know, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to, to have a quote. and Maybe I'll just allude to it right now. But it's, God doesn't is not going to come to me and ask me why I made or did not make decisions for my wife and for my children, for the people who I'm responsible for in this church, uh, because I'm the most able. There are men who are far better than me who can make better decisions. I mean, they're, they're, they're so much better rounded and all that. God made me accountable, though 
It's not about ability. It's about accountability. You are responsible. You are responsible. So if you're listening to this, if that bothers you, get over it. doesn't matter how you feel about it. You can be frustrated about it if you want, and that's your right, but it doesn't change the fact that God has made you accountable as a man. You're accountable for your decisions, for your actions, and if they affect other people, you are accountable. So get over it and accept it. Pick up the burden of responsibility. Pick up the burden of manhood. Learn how to carry it. Look at the instruction manual. Ask those uh, good, godly, righteous men around you. Be willing to lead. You know, here, here's the the reality is this, is, you know, we are responsible for leading. Whether you like it or not, you are an example. Someone is always watching you, and you might say, well, I don't have children. I'm not married. You know, I, I don't, there's not a group of, of people that I interact with, but, you know, if you have a job, you have a responsibility to be an example. If you interact or if you go to the grocery store or to the gas station, you are being an example. The way you open a door for somebody, the way you prefer someone else, you're being an example. You are being a leader in doing that. You're showing those Christian attributes, those Christ-like attributes. We don't get a, re- a choice in whether or not we're going to lead. As men, you know, especially you you men who are, who are uh, husbands and fathers here, you do not get out of the responsibility of being a leader. You must lead your family. And how do we do it? You know, we're going to talk about how, how good kings lead, how good leaders accomplish it. But I want you to understand that we must, we must be the leaders. We must set the standard. And where does that standard come from? It comes from Jesus Christ and from his word. It's Christian leadership, Christian manhood, and, and sacrificial leadership, humble leadership, servant leadership. But there are different things that we can do in leading, isn't there? We can lead through force. Force somebody. I'm going to force my wife to do what I want. How would I force her? Well, I'm physically stronger. I have, uh, you know, throughout my marriage, I've been the one who is the breadwinner. You can do what I want. You can act how I want. You can say or do whatever it is that I want because if not, you know, I'm not, I'm going to control your access to money, things like that. Are we coercing Right? Are we blackmailing somebody to try to get them to follow what we want? Are we, are we withholding affection from our wife until she does the things that we want? You know, are we humiliating, speaking down to somebody so they do what we want, so they follow what we want to do, so they follow the direction that we want in our family and in our life because they are embarrassed, they're ashamed because we're abusing them? Do we do it through violence? How many men in this world are leaders through violence? Dictators, right? I mean, countries, there's countries all over this world who are led by men who use violence as the tool to accomplish what they want. And they are leading, but they're not leading through those aspects or through those uh, attributes that God calls us to, nor through those ways that are most effective. Are you leading? Ask yourself that question. If you're a married man, who is the one who's setting the standard in your house? And that's not to say that your wife doesn't get a say or that she can't be an example or anything like that, but understand that God went to Adam first. Okay, there was an expectation that God uh, had of Adam that you know you are going to be aware of what your wife is doing. Why were why were you why did you allow her to be alone with Satan wandering around, Adam? Didn't you did you encourage her and did you tell her and did you warn her about the importance of not taking that fruit, Adam? You know th- these are things that that we have to understand. We we must lead. You must lead. Look in your life. You know are you setting the standard in your family? Are you setting the standard when it comes to prayer in your family? Are you encouraging your family to pray? Are you encouraging your children not to fight? Are you the one who is setting that standard there? God did not put women in the role 
to be those leaders. And it's not that they're incapable. It's that the Lord put things in, in, in order for his reasons. And, you know, I, I can't argue with him on it. All I can do is I can, I can live within the things that he's put forward. And when you are a true servant Christian king, everybody gets along well. Your wife doesn't feel that she's spoken down to, that she's, that she's not trusted, that she's lesser. Everybody lives in that, in that good and righteous manner that Christ asked us to. But I want you to think about that. We have a responsibility to lead. Are you leading in your family? And how are you doing it? And, and recognize this, that if, you're, if you are not taking the lead as, a, as the one who is helping your family to, to see your vision for where they're going, for uh, what things you will and you won't do for, for their uh, spiritual welfare and all that, someone is going to lead, either your wife or your children, or frequently Satan's going to be the one who is leading, right? And the sins of the fathers go and follow on the third and fourth generation. There is risk in this uh, in this pursuit of manliness or this lack of taking up the mantle of Christian manhood. You know, I want to just listen here real quick. I have a, a cut from a movie. I mean, many of you have probably seen the movie The Patriot with with Mel Gibson, and, and, it's, uh, and it's a cool movie about the American Revolution. I have a question written here. It says, what happens if we do not lead? And so now I'm going I'm to just play this clip because even though I don't like the character because this character is is basically you know one of the bad guys in here. He's one of the British the British General Cornwallis. I I don't necessarily like him, but he makes a statement that is very important. It's a statement that's very important when we think about leadership. And in this particular uh, clip, you know, Mel Gibson has gone to to where this Lord Cornwallis, General Cornwallis, his headquarters are because eighteen of his men have been captured. And in part of this conversation, they're going to have this negotiation, if you will, over his men. But one of the things that Cornwallis is saying is, is, hey, as we're doing this negotiating, he says, I would like for you to stop shooting my uh, my leaders, my my officers. And so let's let's hear what it is that he's talking about here is, again, you don't have to agree with this man, but he makes a statement that, that's important that, you know, when those officers are there, when those leaders are gone and are killed and are no longer there, he says, you know, you basically have men who who uh, who are chaotic and they're unable to function as they're supposed to. So let's go ahead and listen to that real quick because even though we don't agree with this guy and he is and he's the enemy in here, he makes a true statement that has to do with, with families, with men, with, with Christian leadership and what happens if there's not leadership. So let's go ahead and give it a listen here. Thank you. Now we come to the matter of the specific targeting of officers during engagements. Colonel, you must know that in civilized warfare, officers in the field must not be accorded inappropriate levels of hostile attention. To your mind, what are appropriate levels of hostile attention? Oh, Colonel, imagine the utter chaos that would follow from leaderless armies having at each other. There must be gentlemen in command to lead and, and, and where necessary, restrain their men. Okay. Again, like I said, we don't have to like the guy. I don't like the guy, right? But he did make a valid point. He made a valid point, and that valid point is is that where there are no leaders, chaos is going to ensue. That's just the way it is. So if we don't lead, someone's going to. If I'm not setting rules and standards and being the one who, who as the father, is making sure that my household runs well, and if my wife isn't, or if she's too tired, or she if if, I'm not saying she is incapable, but if she were incapable, who's going to lead my house? My children, right? There's all sorts of shows and stuff on there, you know, Nanny 911 and all that sort of stuff, where you see that there are children who are leading a house, and how do they do it? 
How do children do it? They don't do it in a way that's successful for anybody, right? Understand that if you are not leading, if you are not leading your life, if you're not leading your family, if you are not taking uh, the steps, young men, before you're married to to be good examples and to be uh, strengthening yourself and your understanding of God's requirements and how to be successful in it, someday when you have responsibility, if you are not accustomed to or you don't know how to do it, chaos is going to ensue. And you're still going to be responsible for it. So let's make sure that we're, we're working and we're pushing ourselves to, to take up that mantle of responsibility that God put before us now. So I want to begin to talk about some of these aspects of a, of a leader, of a servant leader, of a servant king. And I want to start here with this, uh, with this one thing. And we're going to talk a little bit later about the actual aspects of, of being a servant. But I want to start here that this important thing is that, you know, a king should have vision. He should see ahead. In a previous podcast, I think I read the scripture in Proverbs that says, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. We, we have to be looking ahead, right? Now, there are some people, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, that think that particular proverb is talking about if God is not speaking through his prophets, let the people perish. But, you know, I agree with that still. If, if God is not working and moving in people's lives, there is no life to be had there. There is only chaos. There is only darkness. There is only destruction. And if you, as a husband, as a father, if you in a dating relationship— right? You you young men who are dating a woman right now, understand she is in your realm. You are a king and you are responsible. And if you don't have vision looking ahead, there is going to be chaos that ensues. You know, if you can imagine a king, you know, why? what was one reason why perhaps a, 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 a castle had these giant towers, the huge towers, right? And up at the top, you, you open up the window to the turret and you can look out and you can see because you see dangers coming from the distance. This is what a king is supposed supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be looking out and looking ahead. You know, if you're not looking at this world, fathers, and seeing those things that are that are becoming a danger to your Christian walk and what is going to become a danger to your children and their Christian walk, if you're not looking at that, you're not being a Christian king over your household and over your responsibility. Because if you look, you're going to see that there are things that are coming on the horizon that you need to be educating and warning and strengthening your children against and your wives against. Right, We have to have vision and look ahead and look for dangers coming in the distance. But also, not just that, it's also vision for where you want to see things to go. What is it that you want uh, your family to look like? You know, Do you want to move somewhere else? Do you want a different job? You know, do you want your children to go to college? Is my wife happy? What can I do to make her happier? You know, We'll be looking forward and we consider we, we should be setting the standard and we should be helping for our family to see our vision. And that vision should be God-centered, but that's our responsibility, right? A king is supposed to have vision. And I'm just touching on this barely because I have a lot I want to cover here. And I, and I realize, I'm sorry, I know most of my podcasts have been long. As I'm setting out these foundational podcasts, uh, these these first foundational ones, uh, they're going to be longer, but I hope that in the future I'll be able to break them into smaller, shorter pieces. And I hope that you that you don't, uh, that I don't lose you because of the length of these. But as I'm setting out some of these foundational ones, I, I want to make sure that I, that I, that I do a, a job of touching on all the different aspects that I want to ma- break into smaller smaller portions later. So sorry for that left turn. Let's get back to it. You know, part of this vision means that that a king has to be a protector. Now, we haven't talked at length about about the foundational manhood aspect of being a warrior, but we will. But I want to under, I want you to understand that you know being a king and being a warrior that it comes kind of hand in hand. And so I want you to think about this. If you've seen the old movie, I think it came out in the early 90s and it was and it's uh, Robin Hood 
Prince of Thieves, right? Kevin Costner starred in it. And if you watch that movie, you'll see that, that right near the beginning, you know, Kevin Costner's father was, he wasn't a king, but he was, you know, a duke, a, you know, some some man who, who who lived in a castle. He was of responsibility. He had, he had um, whether it was a knighthood or wherever it was, he had a, a a real responsibility there over the country. And he had that responsibility while the king was away and at war. And you see in this that he's in his castle and uh, and outside come these men, these evil men who are there and they want him to join him, to join them, I'm sorry, in, in devil worship and all this stuff. And really they were trying to overthrow and take the throne. And, you know, his servant comes to him and says, there's people out there and he looks out his window and he sees that there's all these, and there were all these evil men there and what their intention was to do was to destroy or to get him to join them. And he says, get my horse. And he begins to to put his armor on and he is going to go out and he is going to fight. And his and his servant, you know, his his servant tells him, "Don't go out there. No, it's my responsibility." And so you see that he gets in his armor and he gets out his his he puts on his helmet and he rides out in the darkness to meet this group of men, outnumbered all by himself. But his responsibility as king was to fight to protect those who he was responsible for. Now, ultimately, he died. And you may say, you know, well, that was a really bad example. No, it really wasn't a bad example. Part of being a king means to be courageous, being willing to fight battles, even if it feels like you're outnumbered. And, you know, what do those battles look like? It means fighting the battle of spiritual struggles in your home. If your children are having problems with various things, your wife is having trouble. If your marriage is struggling, all right, being a king and being a leader means that you're responsible for making a change. You're responsible for staying up late. You're responsible for being on your knees and pouring out your heart to God to help you to know how to solve a problem. Going and being a warrior and being a protector and being that leader of your household. So I want you to think of that, this this aspect of vision. You know, a, a king leads by sharing his vision and he bases it in a way that's understood, easy to be understood, and it's motivated by the welfare for all who he has responsibility for. I'm not going to say that as men we can't have things or do things that we enjoy. Certainly we all have some toys that we like. It should never take precedence over the welfare and the joy and the satisfaction of those who we are responsible for. It should never, it should never replace their needs. And so often we see that, right? Because we want things in our life. We want to enjoy certain things. But those things that we want or those needs that we have, you know, they should always take a second place. It should always come behind the needs of those who we're responsible for. And that's a difficult thing, right? We're talking about sacrifice, sacrifice of yourself. It's demanding. It's frustrating sometimes. That doesn't mean that you never enjoy yourself. That doesn't mean that you never do things that you want, but it means that you should be looking first and foremost to those who you have responsibility for. Those are the ones who you need to be paying attention to their needs, making sure that those are fulfilled. That means husbands, making sure your wife is fulfilled physically, emotionally, sexually. These are things. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's something that we have to remember. It's about those people who we have responsibility for because if we look, Christ took that same stance, right? It wasn't about him. It was sacrificial for those who he had responsibility for. So we're talking about Christian leadership. We're talking about sacrificial and servant leadership. This is what we need to be striving for. As as you in your life, as you begin to, to establish yourself as this king, as this leader, as this servant over those who you have responsibility, a king is a provider. He provides. He provides physically, 
that is in food, in money, in a home. All right, he takes care of those physical needs that his family has. That means that he, you know, he might have to get up early. He might have to st- to stay out late. Might have to work nights. You know, he has to do these things. I I, I remember saying years ago, and and I said it when I never when I thought that my job as a police officer was always going to be there, and and I found myself faced with this. Never thought I would be faced with having to uh, having to put my money where my mouth is. But you know, I remember having this conversation with somebody where I said, you know, my responsibility is to my family. I don't have to be a police officer. That's not what makes me. I'd be willing to wash and to scrub toilets to provide for my family. You know, and I was trying to make a point as to what my priorities were. Little did I know that, you know, at some point that job of being a police officer wouldn't be there and I would be forced to try to look and see different ways that I could provide for my family. And it has not been easy. But as I've been trying to walk forward with God, knowing that I have a responsibility to provide for my family, He has been taking care of me, putting opportunity and things in front of me, and I'm able to be that provider even yet for my family. And things are looking up. We're, we're so blessed. But we would not be blessed if I decided that I was just going to sit in my room and wallow in it. King is a provider. He needs to provide emotionally the needs of his wife, of his children, of his friends. You know, your wife your wife needs to have conversation with you. You know, women in your life, they have emotional needs. They need to talk. And, you know, for men, we're not really good at that. We don't, we don't, you know, we're problem solvers. Talking about feelings and all that, we look at it as, you know, well, you're talking about one plus one and the solution is two. That's not what your wife is looking for. That's not what your girlfriend is looking for. They want to get to know you. They want you to know them. They want to connect on an emotional level. And, you know, when you don't do that, you're not providing for your wife. Your children, they need to be emotionally supported and strengthened. Every one of your children and, and fathers, you know this. If you have multiple children, you know that every one of them is different. Are you looking for how you can best f- uh, fulfill the needs of each one of your children? That's part of your responsibility. We have to, as, as king, as a provider, we have to provide spiritually. And God's word should form your example it should be the basis of your vision, and it's what you use to teach. You know, there's this place in Scripture where it talks about, King Benjamin says, you know, that you do not you do not have a mind to injure one another, and you don't teach your children that they're going to do so either, but you tell them that they're supposed to, to, to interact with each other in love. The vision is, is that we are going to have peace in our home, and the example is Christ-like, and it is scriptural, and this is what I'm going to teach. You know, we have this responsibility to provide spiritually. You know, men, if you are not encouraging your family to pray, and if you are not praying with them, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can be offended with me if you want, you are not providing spiritually for your family. If you are not looking at the book, if you are not looking at the instruction manual, seeing where you need to better yourself, and frankly, seeing where there are struggles in your family or where someone else needs to better themselves, then you are not being and you are not providing spiritually, and you need to fix it because you have responsibility. And your leadership or your lack of leadership is going to have effects in generations that follow. You know, there's this place in the Book of Mormon, King Benjamin, he makes this point that as his time as king was drawing to a close, he knew he was going to die. He's looking back at the time that he had had to be a king over that people, and he makes the point. And we know the scripture, many of us, it's in Mosiah chapter 1, and I'm going to read a couple verses here. He says this, Mosiah chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 43. I say unto you that as I have been suffered to spend my days in your service, even up to this time, and have not sought gold, nor silver, nor any manner of riches from you, neither have I suffered that you should be confined in dungeons, or that you should make slaves of one another, 
another, or that you should commit murder, or plunder, or steal, or commit adultery, or even as I have not suffered that you should commit any manner of wickedness, and I have taught you that you should keep the commandments of the Lord in all things which he had commanded you. And even I myself have labored with my own hands that I might serve you, and that you should not be laden with taxes, that there should be nothing come upon you which was grievous to be born. And all of these things which I have spoken ye yourself are witnesses this day. Yet, my brethren, I have not done these things that I might boast, neither do I tell you these things that I thereby I might accuse you. But I tell you these things that you may know that I can answer a clear conscience before God this day. Behold, I say unto you, that because I said unto you that I spent my days in your service, I do not desire to boast, for I have only been in the service of God. And behold, I tell you these things that you might learn wisdom, that you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow beings, you are only in the service of your God. And behold, you have called me your king, and if I whom you call your king do labor to serve you, then had ye not ought to labor to serve one another. If you look up this scripture, and I read Mosiah chapter 1 verses 43 to 50, you will see every aspect of being a servant king, being a servant leader laid out here. He says that I've been in a position where I could have taken advantage. I could have led by throwing you into dungeons or enslaving you. I did not do that. I didn't seek gold or silver from you. I didn't take from you. I gave. He says, I didn't allow you to murder or to steal, or to commit adultery. That wasn't the standard that I set. I set the standard that you were to follow God. I set the standard that you weren't supposed to commit wickedness. I taught you that you should keep the commandments of the Lord in everything that he commanded you. And I also spent my time laboring so that you didn't have to support me. I could provide for you. And he says, I didn't do these things so that I could boast or so that you could look at me and say, what a great guy. I did it because I want to answer God with a clear conscience that I did what I was supposed to do. There is a phenomenal message of a servant king in this. And then he says, I spent my days in your service, but it wasn't that I was only in your service. I was in God's service. And when you are in the service of God, that is where we should always stand. When we're taking care of those around us and our responsibilities, we are serving God. And he says, if I'm the one who I was your king and I had the most right to not do anything, but to let you provide for me because of my status as king and all the responsibilities that go go with it. But if instead of taking advantage of you, I labored to serve you, what example did I set? You should do the same for others. Fathers, you teach your sons how to be good, righteous, leader husbands by showing them servant leadership. I want to delve into a, a, a topic, a side topic. Well, I mean, it's not a side topic. It's a part of this. We're well aware of the, of the concept of humility, right? Being humble, not looking at yourself as more than you ought to be, not being full of pride, thinking that you're so great or so wonderful or things like that. And, you know, meekness, uh, meekness is something that's commonly used, and it's, and it's commonly said as a synonym or as part of the definition of humility. But I absolutely disagree because there's something else that you see as different with meekness. And men, we are called to be meek. And meekness is a form of humility. But there's this story in the Book of Mormon that I think illustrates it. There was this group of people, and they were poor, and they had nothing. And because of it, the rich people who lived in this town would not let them go to the to the church to worship. And because they weren't able to worship, they became humble because they felt like they were terrible people, and they didn't know what to do, and they realized that they were nothing because they had nothing, and they were humble. But they had no choice. They weren't rich, so they couldn't do the things that they wanted to do. And they were humble, basically out of necessity. But we're called to be meek. And meekness is is a humility that comes despite the presence of ability, opportunity, or potential. 
or I can, but I don't. Meekness means having all of the ability and the opportunity to do something and yet not doing it. Like a king who could take advantage of those underneath of him, who nobody would question if you had to pay a, a percentage of every wage that you earned to take care of the king who's in a position of responsibility over you. And yet King Benjamin, who could have done that, he did not do it. He had the ability, and some would say even the right, and yet he chose not to do it. What did he show? He shows meekness. You know, the king has the ultimate ability to exhibit meekness. And you and your family, husbands, and you uh, young men who are dating, and you young men, period, you know, you have the ultimate ability to exhibit meekness. You are going to be stronger than those who are around you. I'm stronger than my wife and my children. It's the reality of it. I could physically force them to do things if I chose to. A lot of times as men, we have more abilities. You know, sometimes we're more coordinated. We're able to do things better. We're often in a position of power over temporal things like money or a job or a better job than your spouse. There are things that that as men, we end up in positions of having, we have these abilities and we could use, I could use my physical strength or I could use the fact that I'm the one who is bringing in money into my home to get what I want. But instead, when I choose that rather than using those abilities, using those, those uh, abilities that I have to get what I want, if I choose to be humble and I choose to serve rather than to take, I am beginning to exhibit this godly aspect of meekness. I can, but I don't. I can, but I don't. And I want you to think about that, that you are constantly going to be in a place in your life where you have ability to do something, where you can force it, you can make something happen, you can use your strength or your wits or your your better ability to speak. You know, I mean, I don't know if 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 you have someone in your life like this, but you know, there are women in my life who, who they're not comfortable with conflict, having a discussion that could be a little bit heated. I can easily overwhelm them and I can beat them down on the ground without raising my voice or anything, but I choose not to because I want to be meek and humble. Their opinion matters to me. I want you to think that every king, no matter how great or small, still answers to somebody. That greatest king, Jesus Christ, he still answered to his father. King always answers to somebody. You will answer someday. You will stand before the Lord, and you will give account. Now, we're all responsible for our own decisions. My children's sins, when they are educated as to what sin is, they're not all going to be my fault. But if I failed to teach them, if I set a poor example for them, you better believe the Lord is going to come calling to me and say, Adam, what did you or did you not do? Every king, no matter how great or small, still answers to someone. And even Jesus Christ, he told the people, My father is the one who is in charge here. I do all things that he asks me to do. I want you to look at this example of Christ. You know, he spoke about what a real leader was. And what did he do? We we know the story. He washed the feet of the disciples. And we'll read this real quick. I'm going to read in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12. It says this, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. You know, this thing that Christ was trying to tell them was, 
is that I am the creator of all things, and yet I got down on my knees and I washed your filthy, disgusting feet, and I used my own clothes to dry it off. And why did I do it? Because as leader and as king, I am to be a servant. I'm to serve. I'm to look at the needs of others. And he was showing them how it was to be done and what it looked like. So you think about that. Think about the fact that if you don't like everything that I've said or my opinions, that's fine. But if you go to the instruction manual, if you go to the book, you're going to see that Jesus Christ shows you how it's done. Takes away every excuse. You have no excuse not to be a leader. You have no excuse not to be a servant. You have no excuse to let these things go by the wayside. Christ showed you how it was done. Take up the mantle and follow. Pick up that burden and walk with it. I want to uh, to to talk now. I want to talk here about who we have responsibility for. And I touched on this before that I believe that everybody who runs into your realm of of contact you have some responsibility for. While they are interacting with you or they're in your home or, or you know, or with your family, you have some responsibility for them. That should form the things that we do and it should form the way that we perceive things in our actions. You know, and I want to look in the book of Philippians, Paul writes this to the people there in Philippi. Philippians chapter two, verse four, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Meaning that you have a responsibility to serve, to protect from physical and spiritual dangers, to provide for their needs, to show the example of Christ in your life. You know, I made this this statement earlier. If my kids are having a sleepover, those kids who are guests in my house are my responsibility, which means if there is something happening that should not be happening, my responsibility is to say, not happening here, not in my kingdom, because the one who I answer to has a different standard that we are going to uphold, all right? And that kid may go home and might live something completely different, but when they're in my realm of responsibility, Jesus Christ is the one who sets the standard for what happens there. And I'm the one who upholds it and makes sure that it's that it's followed. My responsibility. Continuing on there in Philippians in, in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, it says here that Jesus Christ, you know, he was equal with God, but instead of coming here and being God, he took the form of a servant. And if you look at the Strong's Concordance, as it as it uh, defines what that Greek word for servant meant, it was a slave. Christ came and he was a slave. He was a slave. You know, Christ's life was about sharing his or, or God's vision. He did it in service, he was self-sacrificial. He was looking for dangers. He was submissive to his father. You know, he gave up everything. It says in Luke 9 and 58 that, that he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. His job was so important that he was busy being self-sacrificial and taking care of and being in service all the time. And he didn't have time to build a house. You know, he didn't have the latest and greatest, whatever the technology was back then. That wasn't what he was there for. His job as that servant leader as that servant king was to look out for those who he was responsible for. I'm drawing to a close here and I want to and I want to draw to a close here touching on something that I had touched on in the beginning. And what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a a stellar, a phenomenal, inspirational speech from the wisdom-filled movie, the Lego movie. I love this movie. I also love Lego Batman. Hilarious, full of funny, good dad humor. But here in uh, in the Lego movie, 
you know, there's this there's this speech that Emmett is giving. And, you know, here he is. He's supposed to be this master builder. He's the special. And he's supposed to be the one who is going to unite all these master builders. And he's going to be there to be a leader. And let's listen to this inspirational speech and, and get over the humor of it and just t- listen to what he says because there's something that is really important that is within this. So let's give it a listen. Yes, it's true. I may not be a master builder. I may not have a lot of experience fighting or leading or coming up with plans or having ideas in general. In fact, I'm not all that smart. And I'm not what you'd call a creative type. Plus, generally unskilled. Also, scared and cowardly. I know what you're thinking. He is the least qualified person in the world to lead us. And you are right. This is supposed to make us feel better. There was about to be a but. All right. So we gave that a listen there. And as you hear, Emmett spends this time talking about all of his qualities or lack thereof. I want to take a quote from, there's a book that a good portion of, of, of my attitude and my, and my thoughts about manliness and how we do it is taken, is taken from. And it's called The Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. And it's by Stu Weber. And I'm going to tell you that if you've been interested at all in these podcasts and you want to learn more, I would, I would encourage you to, to get that book. And if you contact me, I will get you one. It's that important. There's a, there's a place here and it's talking about this aspect of being a king. And I'm gonna, I'm just going to read this quote. And the quote, is, it's talking about all of these uh, things, all of these pressures that are from without that make a man not want to stand up and be that leader and that servant king. And, and here's the quote. It says, do you really think you can do this king thing better than someone else? You know, that's a common criticism. And it'd be in there. You think that you can do better at leading a household than your wife? You think that you are the one who's been given responsibility because you have so much more ability I mean, I, I can hear society saying that to us, and there's a phenomenal answer here. And it's, and it's where Emmett was going in his speech here in the Lego movie, and it's this, okay? So, so the question was, do you really think you can do this king thing better than someone else? And Stu Weber answers it beautifully. Not particularly. In fact, I'm pretty sure there are numbers of others who could do it just as well or better. But the issue, again, is not ability. It's accountability, I'm accountable to the one who is king of kings, and he told me to do it, period. I certainly hope to do the best job possible, and I'll greatly benefit from the gifts and skills of others around me, but I can't transfer the accountability. I'm going to answer to God for this. Men, I want you to think about that. You are not perfectly able. You have not been been given the best abilities to speak and to lead and to have the best foresight and the best vision. You're not going to be able to handle everything's perfectly. You know, Emmett says, I'm not really that creative and generally unskilled and all these things, but he was the one who was accountable. And that's what Stu Weber is answering here. He says, yeah, there are certainly people who can do this better than me. I don't have to look very far to see better husbands than me and better fathers than me. I don't have to look very far to see better ministers than me. And that doesn't mean I throw up my hands or I give it over to somebody else or I say, well, because my wife can handle things better, I just let her do everything. No, it's not about ability. It's about accountability. Accountability. God gave me the responsibility. Men, if you're listening to this, the responsibility is yours to step up, to be that leader, that servant leader, 
that humble servant king, and to lead in your household, to lead in your family, to lead in your relationships. If someone comes into your realm, you have responsibility for them. You might not be the one who has the greatest abilities, but you are the one who has accountability. The thing that you have to hold to is, you know, Christ was always looking to his father. I mean, he went away from the people and it says he spent, you know, he spent time on the mountain alone in prayer. What was he doing? He was talking to his father and he was gaining strength. And you know, when we are willing to take up this responsibility of kingly leadership, we might not have all the abilities. But God, who is holding us accountable, he's going to be the one who strengthens us in those things. To him be the glory, not to me because of some ability I have in there. I'm all right being weak in that because God hasn't let me down. He's given me vision and foresight to take care of problems and things that I didn't have to do it in my own wisdom. That's the God I serve. That's the God I trust in. So it has less to do about my abilities, and it has to do with his abilities if I'm willing to be accountable to him. You don't have to be married or be a father to start being a king. Take responsibility over those around you. Be a servant. Look for opportunity to serve others. Be a servant king. We can never be enough. We're always going to have lack of ability. But if we put forth the effort, and if we ask God to bless us in our efforts, he makes up the difference. God called you to be a man. He put you here for his purpose. He knows how to do what he's doing, and he wants to do it in you. So arise from the dust and be men.